I wanted to do that video in person, but they were all too nervous, so we had to, <laughs> we had to video it. Uh, side note, I'm really proud of these guys. I'm really proud of all of our students. Uh, it takes a lot to get up on a stage, and I remember when I was you know, their age, I could not have done this, and so I'm really proud of them. I know that they're watching back there on the, in the green room, but let's give it up for them. I'm really proud of them. And I want you guys to know your giving is impacting lives. It is changing lives. There's several ways that you can give. Uh, you can give online, journeyky.church. You can text to give. I'll be honest, I'm not even sure how that works. Uh, and then you can also give in these baskets, which is pretty cool. So however you choose to give, uh, we appreciate your giving. I want to ask you a question this morning. Have you ever been desperate for something? I think we'd all say probably, yeah, I've been desperate for something. You've heard that phrase, like Tony mentioned, uh, desperate times call for desperate measures. I told this story last week, and I, I never tell stories twice. Like, I never reuse stuff, but I felt like I needed to tell this story. Uh, about a year ago, uh, February 28th, 2020, I decided I was going to get a little bit healthier. And so, like anybody who wants to lose weight, right, there's probably one thing that's maybe getting in the way of you accomplishing that goal. And for me, it was sweets, all right? Like, I love sweets. My dad's here this morning. He has a sweet tooth. That's where I got it from, so I really blame him. But the thing about sweets is, man, I love sweets and I have no portion control. Like, I can't just eat like two cookies. Like, that's just, I can't do that. And growing up, a buddy of mine, his name's Bryce, he's speaking tonight in our student ministry. Uh, I would always go over to his house and there's kind of this running joke that, man, if Zach comes to my house, he's going to eat all my Oreos. <laughs> and it's true. It didn't matter how many were in the pack. Like, I was going to eat all of his Oreos. Like, there was, it was a no-brainer. Like, Zach's coming over, the Oreos are going to be gone. And so in order to lose weight, what I did was I became gluten-free uh, because my wife has celiac disease. And so in order to support her, I became gluten-free. And man, I started to just see the weight fall off because I couldn't eat cookies anymore. But the problem is about a month ago, all right, February 1st, this brand that you're familiar with, Miss Gracie knows, Oreo came out with a gluten-free cookie. <laughs> and man, was I in trouble. <laughs> I was in trouble. I was desperate. I went to all the Kroger's. I went to Lexington. I was texting Eric Rice saying, hey man, where are these Oreos at? Like I need some of these Oreos. <laughs> and finally I found them at the Kroger in Versailles after my third attempt to find them. And I got home. I ate the whole pack. <laughs> I ate the whole pack. And I was kind of embarrassed. I looked at Allie. I don't think she had a single one of them. And I was like, man, I just ate three sleeves of Oreos in one sitting. Fast forward a month later, I've had seven packs of Oreos this month. <laughs> you can do the math on that, all right? That's not good. It's not good. Uh, but what I did, desperate times call for desperate measures. So what I did was my mom brought me two more packs right after I said, I'm not eating any more of these, Allie. Don't let me eat any more of these. So what I did was I said, Allie, hide these Oreos. Don't throw them away. They're too valuable. Hide them, all right? And then when I asked for them, you know, give me maybe two or four at a time or maybe one sleeve. We'll just limit ourselves to one sleeve. And so she hides the Oreos. She hides the Oreos. But one day I was doing some laundry, all right, and I'm putting away the socks in her sock drawer and I find the Oreos, all right? She didn't think I would do laundry, so that's why she, you know, hit them there. Desperate times call for desperate measures. I ended up eating the rest of them. I bought another pack on Friday, so I'm still struggling with it, all right? I'm still struggling with it. Desperate times call for desperate measures. God has been working in my life the last few months, and I don't know exactly what it is. I don't know exactly what it is that he's doing, but I know he's doing something. I know he's doing something. 
And that's what I want to share with you a little bit this morning about the book of Acts, uh, because as I've been meeting with those three guys on the screen, we've been talking about this move of God that we see in the book of Acts. And what I want to talk to you about this morning is how desperate times call for a church to be desperate to see God move. And so if you have your Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. Peter heals this lame beggar, which Micaiah read about in Acts chapter 3. And so Peter heals this lame beggar. This guy was somebody that was sitting outside the temple. It would kind of be like somebody sitting outside our church begging for money, right? You feel maybe compelled uh, to give that person money. And so Peter heals this guy. He's unable to walk. He gets up, and Peter begins to preach to this crowd of people right after he heals this man. And so as he's preaching the gospel, he's talking about how Jesus was the reason that this thing happened. Jesus was the reason that this man was healed. And so what happens is thousands of people come to know Jesus. Thousands of people. But the problem is, is that as you'll see throughout the book of Acts, if you ever choose to study this for yourself, that Peter and John are arrested because they are preaching the gospel to this group of people. And so that's kind of where we pick up in Acts chapter 4, as Peter and John are basically asked, how did you do this? How did this happen? All right, and so we pick up in verse 8. It says, Peter, filled with the Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who is lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found under no one else, for there is no other name under heaven, given to mankind, which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man standing there who had been healed, there was nothing that they can say. The problem with the Sanhedrin is that they have these beliefs that, one, they don't believe in the resurrection. So they they deny the fact that Jesus actually rose from the dead. But they also kind of deny the supernatural. So this idea of Peter and John healing somebody was somewhat out of the question. But the story goes on to talk about how basically they're standing here, they they kind of put Peter and John to the side, and they're trying to talk about how are we going to punish Peter and John for what they did? How are we going to punish them for preaching the gospel? But the problem is, is that this man who is healed this man who everyone in their town would have known was standing there healed. And they didn't feel like there was anything that they could do, and they saw the power of God on display, the very power that they didn't believe in. And so as I was reading this passage, there were three things that challenged me, specifically about this idea of desperate times call for a church to be desperate to see a move of God. All right, and the first thing is this, that if we want to see a move of God, if we want to be desperate to see God move, we have to have a backbone for what we believe in. And that's tough. That's tough. Because I was asking these guys, I was like, man, what's it look look like for you guys in school? And they're like, you know, uh, there's all this stuff that is contrary to what the Bible teaches that we're having to go through, that we're having to experience. And it's not going to get better. Like, I I don't know if you know this, but people who don't know Jesus typically don't act like Jesus. And so it's never going to get, it's never going to get easier. It's going to become more and more difficult. And I think about that verse in verse 10, when Peter's basically asked this question, Peter, how did you do this? How did this happen? 
And he says this. He says, know this, blank. He preaches the gospel. He shares the gospel. But I feel like that's kind of the climax. When he says, know this, he has that opportunity to say, you know what? I don't really know how it happened. You know what? I think he was actually just faking it. I think he was actually just able to walk, but he was just playing us the whole time. No, he doesn't do that. He preaches the gospel. He said, hey, it's because of Jesus. It's because of Jesus that this man stands before us healed. And I can't help but think about believers in the first century. I think about the way that some of these people were persecuted. Uh, I think about Stephen, who you'd read about later on in Acts chapter 7, if you were to read this passage, and how it says that he was stoned to death after preaching the gospel. I think about James, the brother of Jesus. When they asked if he believed in Jesus, he said he did, and they beheaded him. They cut off his head. I think about Philip in AD 55. He was beaten, thrown into prison, and then crucified. I think about Matthew, who was chopped to death with an axe. I think about James the Lesser. At age 94, he was beaten, he was stoned, and then they had his brains beat out of his head. I think about Matthias, who was elected to fill the spot of Judas, but he was stoned and beheaded soon after. I think about Andrew, who was crucified on the cross. Mark, who was dragged to pieces before they could do anything worse to him. Peter, who was crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy to suffer the same death as Jesus. I think about Paul, whose head was cut off by a sword. I think about Jude, who was crucified. Bartholomew, crucified. Thomas, he had a spear run through his body. Luke, he was hung on an olive tree. Simon, he was crucified. Barnabas, he was stoned. They tied a rope around his neck. And then they drug him to the spot where he would be burned alive. And then we hear about John the Apostle, the other guy in the story. They claim that he had a natural death only after escaping being burned alive in oil. I can't help but think, man, that doesn't look a lot like us. I can't help but think, man, something has to change. Because in Matthew 16, when Jesus says that famous statement, if anyone wants to come after me, They must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. And I can't help but think maybe what he's talking about is, hey, if you want to follow me, you're also going to sign up to experience my my pain. If you want to follow me, you're also going to to sign up to experience my, my death, my torture. And being a believer in the first century, honestly, I think it was a little bit different than maybe what we think of today. And so what we go back to is that question in verse 7, by what power did you do this? And if I'm in Peter and John's situation, I have to be thinking, man, what's going to happen to me if I tell them it's because of Jesus? Am I going to experience pain? Am I going to experience torture? Am I going to be put in prison? Am I going to be beheaded? Those things have to be going through the mind of Peter and John. But what do they do? They say, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. And I was reading in my personal Bible study Uh, from Acts chapter 5, several weeks ago, is one of the passages that I was doing with those guys, and I was talking about, uh, it was talking about how Peter and John are back before the Sanhedrin. And I can remember thinking about that passage, and, and this is what I wrote down, is kind of my takeaway from it. I have to evaluate whether or not my faith is worth persecuting. I have to evaluate whether or not I'm truly living out the gospel. And man, did that challenge me. It really challenged me because I think we're all desperate for something. I think we're desperate for something. Maybe that's something to do with your family. Maybe that's something to do with your kids. 
Maybe that's something to do with your finances. I don't know what that looks like for you. But I think that we need to be desperate for Jesus. Because we want, you know, this is what we do. And I, I just want to be honest. We say we want to hear from God, yet many of us have a, have a closed Bible. We say we want, to, we want to see our church grow. But let's just be honest. Oftentimes, maybe we complain about something. We complain about the music. We complain about the leadership. We complain about the preaching, the sermon, whatever. We say, you know, we struggle with sin. We want freedom from sin. We want freedom from the stuff that we're dealing with, but we're not willing to memorize the scripture like Jesus did in Matthew 4. We're not willing to set up boundaries. We're not willing to do the things necessary that God's called us to, to to free ourselves from that sin. We say we want to be disciple makers, but yet many of us are not discipling anybody. Many of us have never invested our lives into anybody. We say we want, we want to share the gospel. We sit in our Sunday school class. We sit in our small group and we talk about, man, I need to share my faith. I need to live my faith out. But yet 90% of us will grow up in the church and will never share the gospel with anybody. And I don't say that to convict you. I say that because God convicted me. And I feel like if anything, if I can explain it in any way, that's what God's been doing in my life the last few months. He's been teaching me this idea of discipleship this idea of actually living out the values that we proclaim to have as a church. And a friend and I, we've been praying for this revival. Every Friday morning, we pray for revival. We've been praying for the last few months. The last few months that I told you, God's been doing something, but I don't know what it is. We've been praying that we would experience a move of God. But the thing that God was teaching me was, how about you let me revive you first? Before you worry about me reviving everybody else, how about you let me revive you? How about you make disciples? How about you share your faith? How about you uh, do some of these things that I've called you to do? Which kind of brings me to the second point, that if we want to see a move of God, we have to be people that it's obvious to those around us that we've been with Jesus. We've been with Jesus. I was challenged by Acts 4.13, when basically Peter and John are, you know, they've shared the gospel or whatever, but the men took note that, that Peter and John were unschooled, they were ordinary, and it was obvious to this Sanhedrin and this group of people that these men had been with Jesus. What a challenging thing for us, right? What a challenging thing for us this morning. Peter and John, fishermen, they weren't the highest up people. They weren't the most educated people. I think about some of these kids up here singing, I'm like, man, they're so smart. They're so much further ahead than I was in high school. And it's like, man, they're crushing it. That's not Peter and John. That's not Peter and John. All the people in this room are smarter than Peter and John. The majority of people who have more gifts, talents, and abilities than Peter and John. But I think the reason that in Acts chapter 3, when Jesus would probably pass by this man who was sitting at this temple gate, I think Jesus likely passed by this man uh, on his way to the temple. But I think he chose not to heal them because I think he wanted Peter and John to do it. Because I think that he knew that when people saw Peter and John heal this man, they couldn't help but tell that those men had been with Jesus and that Jesus would get the glory, that God would get the glory. And so it was obvious to everyone around them that they had been with Jesus. I want you to think about this for a minute. Uh, hopefully nobody in this room has had maybe their house catch on fire before. Hopefully you've not had that. Maybe you have. But if my neighbor's house is on fire, I heard this several weeks ago. If my neighbor's house is on fire, they probably don't need to come knocking on my door telling me, hey, like, I don't know if you see this, but our house is on fire, right? Like, it's, it's probably pretty obvious to everyone in the neighborhood, hey, their house is on fire. If God lights a fire in us, if he lights a fire in our church, 
it will be obvious to everyone around us. It will be obvious to our community. It will be obvious to the people we work with. It will be obvious. And they will be able to tell, hey, Journey Church has been with Jesus. Journey Church has been with Jesus. It's not rocket science. Let's be honest. The reason that a lot of people around us may not be experiencing Jesus is because we aren't experiencing Jesus. We aren't experiencing his presence. Now think about you know, some of the times that I've been with God. I think about several weeks ago, I was getting ready to go work out. And it's pretty early in the morning. My workout partner texts me and says, hey, man, I can't work out this morning. I'm like, well, why not? Like, why can't you work out? Like, you're always able to work out. And so I'm sitting there. It's like 5.15. I'm like, well, what do I do now, you know? And so I end up throwing on some music. It's right before our retreat. And I just pray. Like, God, would you please just move in this church? Would you please move in our people? Would you please move in me? And God convicted me so harshly because it was like, man, it takes me canceling your workout for you to just be with me, for you to just be in my presence. It's time to wake up. <laughs> it's funny because my next thing on there was saying, are you willing to be interruptible? So yeah, that's a good, that's a good sign. That's the Holy Spirit. Which kind of brings me to this last point. Uh, that if we want to see a move of God, we have to rely on the Spirit of God. Because in verse 8, it says Peter is filled with the Spirit. As he begins to preach the gospel, he is filled with the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that is speaking through him. And I think through myself and my own life, and maybe you can relate to this, I pray, I ask God for something, he shows up, and then I just go back to the way I was. Like I've prayed so many times for stuff related to the church. Several months ago, I remember I prayed for God to bring me a leader, bring me a student leader that was willing to help out. And he brought me Jacob Harden. Jacob's in here somewhere. But like, Jacob, I prayed for you wherever you are in here. Uh, I remember praying, you know, six months ago, God, would you bring us somebody to get baptized? Tristan decided to get baptized. Like I remember praying for these things and for these people and God showed up. But what I did was I went back to normal after that. It's like, God, I can handle it from here. How often do we miss out on what God wants to do because we're not willing to rely on his spirit? Oftentimes we miss out. Acts chapter four, Peter relies on the spirit. Acts chapter five, Peter and the apostles are back before the Sanhedrin. And it says this, Peter says, what is right for us to obey you or to obey God? because we are witnesses to the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter six, Stephen is getting ready to get stoned to death. He's speaking to the people and they're basically in opposition to him. And this is what it says. It says, they could not stand up against the wisdom that the spirit gave him as he spoke. Acts chapter 12, Peter is back in prison because that's kind of a theme for his life after he chooses to follow Jesus. He's back in prison. The church is praying for him. And it says that an angel of the Lord led him out of the prison and the gates opened by themselves. And he comes back and he finds the church praying. He finds the church praying and they're just desperate to see God move. You see, I don't wanna just experience a revival. I wanna experience the God of revival. I wanna experience the God who sets the captives free. I want to experience the God who has shown up in my life time and time and time again. That's what I wanna experience. And as we're about to enter into this moment of communion, we have this opportunity just to reflect just to remember this sacrifice that Jesus gave us. And I want to mention one thing before we do that. I'm praying for God to move. And part of that, we're going to be doing this project called Egg My House. All right, it's not what you think. We're not like taking eggs and actually, you know, that'd be kind of fun, but we're not going to do that. All right, what we're going to be doing is we're collecting Easter eggs 
we're going to be putting them in these baskets, all right? And we're going to have our information for the church in these baskets. And basically what we're going to do is we're going to drop off these baskets to different houses, different people in our community, maybe people that are disconnected from the church, people that aren't in church at all. And what we're going to do is we're going to provide them an egg hunt, all right? This is Eric Rice's idea, so you know it's probably going to be awesome, all right? And so it's going to have our information, just ways that they can connect to the church. And here's what I'm praying for. One, I'm praying that you would sign up to help in some way. All right, after the service, you can sign up. But two, I am praying for a move of God that would be uncontrollable, that we couldn't even contain, that people in our community would be desperate for the spirit of God, that they would see God move in just incredible ways that through this season, it's been difficult, it's been, it's been tough, it's been challenging, and that people are desperate, but man, would they be desperate for God? That's what I'm praying for. 